I want to start off by saying that this section here in Leviticus 12, uh, 12 and possibly even 13, is where some people will say, well, you see, the Old Testament is anti-women. It's uh, discriminatory towards women, and women are, you know, the second-class citizens, and on and on and on. And quite honestly, uh, that could not be further from the truth. Uh, and once again, it's because we have a tendency to not read the Scriptures in, in context. Uh, and, and we read things... We, we read things and we superimpose definitions on words because of what we think they mean, or watch this, what those words typically mean, watch this, to us, right? Which, you know, the, the new, you know, phrase that's been going out for a couple of years now is, you know, that's, that's a trigger word, that's a trigger, you know, I'm, I'm being triggered, you know, because somebody, you know, used, <laughs> used a word, um, it's, anyways, it's, the world's going crazy, isn't it? Uh, so <clears throat> I wanted to show you some things in here, or hopefully we'll see some things as we march through this uh, and try to understand what's really going on. So these first uh, four verses in Leviticus chapter 12, it says, And Yahweh spoke to Moshe, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, saying, When a woman has conceived, that's where it gets the name for this first portion, and has given birth to a male child, she shall be unclean for seven days, as in the days of her monthly separation, she is unclean. And on the eighth day, the flesh of his foreskin is circumcised, and she remains in the blood of her cleansing 33 days. She does not touch whatever is set apart or holy, and she does not come uh, into the set-apart place until the day, days of her cleansing are completed. Now, I've added <clears throat> for us this verse 6, because I want you to see something, and I highlighted it in your notes there. It says, and when the days of her cleansing are completed for a son or for a daughter, she brings to the priest a lamb a year old as a burnt offering and a young pigeon or a turtle dove as a sin offering to the door of the tent of meeting. So <clears throat> this is where, and, and following this is where uh, a number of people uh, will read this and go, you see, uh, and this is just weird. I mean, why would it be that if a woman gives birth, all of a sudden she's unclean? Right? We instantly think what that means is sinful. It does not mean sinful. It doesn't mean that she's not good. Okay? Um, it's this issue of clean and unclean. Certain things are clean, certain things are unclean. Uh, and we can become unclean when certain things happen or happen to us. There's a lot in this section that we're not going to cover tonight, um, number one for time. And it gets into some details that are uh, mature details. Uh, but it doesn't mean that a person uh, is not worthy what you'll notice, because it talks about emissions and bodily fluids and all that kind of stuff that is in this Torah portion, folks, what that's talking about is when a person is diminished physically in any way, especially with blood 
and the ability to reproduce. And I want you to see here because it says, when the days of her cleansing are completed. I put a little note down here that I just typed up uh, for you. It says, I want you to see that her cleansing comes from only one thing, time. The body has to heal. It has to be brought back to that even keel uh, and heal itself. So she doesn't become clean by anything she does. Not prayers, potions, uh, or, or priestly activities. None of that. In other words, there is nothing she, or, or even when it gets talks about men, and we'll get into that here in a moment, there is nothing that they can physically do to change them from just simply being clean or unclean when it's dealing with uh, bodily functions or whatever. Uh, or even if they were to touch a dead man or a dead corpse or body or whatever, uh, they have to go through a process and it's a matter of time. There's a number of times where it says, and this person will be unclean until evening. Here in this section, it's talking about uh, when, she's, when she gives birth to a male or a female child. When you, and, and why is it for the female child it's double? We don't know. Uh, I mean, you, you look through all the commentaries, you read all the, you know, the rabbinical stuff and everything, and they'll literally say, this is just one of those things where it's just, it's a puzzle and we're just not really sure. Isn't that interesting? Because, you know, we just want details. And you know what's weird about that? And I'm that way. It's because we want to verify that it's okay. Now, how self-centered and dumb is that? He just said, do it. So we should do it, Right? So the thing I want you to see here, first of all, <clears throat> is that when you march through this section and it uses the word clean and unclean, that doesn't mean sinful. I'm going to try to stay on track to that. Uh, but it reminds me of when Jesus is walking through the field with the disciples. They take the grain, they're picking the grain as they're walking through the field, which was uh, lawful, if you will. The rabbis chastise Jesus over that and says that they're not following, uh, it's called talk and note or the helicha, the, the rabbinical rules. The, another, watch this, rabbinical law. Okay, they're not following the rabbinical law and washing properly before they eat, and thus becoming, watch this, unclean. Okay? So then Jesus challenges them and starts talking about, look, it's food. When you eat food, it goes in the body, goes into the stomach, it ends up in the latrine, it's just food. That's Paul Henry paraphrase, but that's pretty much what he said. Luke gives an editorial comment, thus Jesus declared all foods clean. And that word for clean can also mean purged. Nowhere in that text was he talking about clean and unclean animals. He's talking about if you do something and become unclean, meaning ritually unclean, ceremonially unclean, watch this, 
unable to go into the tabernacle or during the time of Christ into the physical temple. So when a woman has given birth and these issues are here and a man and, there's, and people, they would have uh, skin diseases and things like that. They would become unclean. All that meant was they couldn't go in the tabernacle. You, you following with me there? So it has nothing to do with um, whether someone has sinned or not. In the next section, when it talks about leprosy, now we've got a sin issue and something that's coming from God, which is different than uh, just a physical ailment. Are you, are you following with me on that? I want you to see something here in Matthew chapter 8, verse 1 through 4. Because here it says that uh, when he came down from the mountain, a lar large crowds followed him. And see, a leper came and bowed down before him, saying, Master, if you desire, you were able to make me clean. This is somebody that has leprosy and has been removed from the camp or the city. It says, And stretching out his hand, Yeshua touched him, saying, I desire it, be cleansed. And immediately his leprosy left, uh, was cleansed. And Yeshua said to him, See, mention it to no one, watch this, but go your way, show yourself to the priest, and offer the gift that Moshe, Moses, commanded, watch this, as a witness to them. Why would he do that, and what's going on here? Well, here's what you have to understand. When some, and we'll get into it a little bit more detail. When someone was, uh, when, when they had contracted leprosy that was a uh, judgment from God, which is different than just normal leprosy that you think of, that we know of today, that comes from long-time uh, exposure to it. The reason why we know that, we'll get into it, because in here he talks about it getting into the walls and into the stones of the house and other items in the house, uh, and that these things need to be removed and, and all this stuff. And it, well, the priest was the one that was to look and watch this, make a distinction, because in here it says, if you have a boil and it's got this hair growing in it and all this, it gets kind of weird, right? And so the priest was supposed to look at this, watch this, because he was the one that was supposed to determine, you know, you got you to gotta boil. Or, all right, what'd you do? You need to get outside the camp because this is, uh, I will use the term leprosy, but this is uh, evidently from God. And so you need to get outside the camp. Uh, and then we're going to watch and see if it grows or whatever. And it was also going to give that person time to watch this, repent. So you'll see that in this passage that this leper comes to Messiah, comes up to Yeshua and admits and says, if you can, you can make me whole if you're willing. It's his, he, his coming to him going, you can do this. Now, why am I bringing that out? The, you will not find anywhere in Scripture where the priests were taught how to go and heal somebody that was judged of God and, and uh, oppressed or whatever with, has come down with leprosy. It's not, it's not there. 
They weren't taught how to do that. We're not, they were not told in Scripture, okay, now if you're a priest, this is what you do. You know, you go over and you take some anointing oil and you put it on the person. You do all this kind of stuff and heal him. They were to do a lot of things once the person was already healed. Because only God could heal something that God had afflicted. You following that? Yeshua shows up. <clears throat> He's not acting as a priest or even a high priest. He's acting as the Messiah. God in the flesh on the earth touches the leper and heals him. Then he says, now what I want you to do, don't go talking to everybody, which that's what he did. Because uh, he was excited. It's, watch this. It's hard to tame the tongue. For good or bad, it is extremely difficult to tame the tongue. So uh, he goes out and he shares it. And he, he, from all accounts, we can figure out he never really even made it to the priest. He tells them, he says, look, I don't want you to go and publish this. I want you to go and take the offering that Moses prescribed. And this is going to be a witness to them. What witness? The Messiah's here. Priests didn't do this. And it says that because the guy goes out and he just kind of publishes it everywhere... Yeshua can't even get anywhere now because what? Everybody's wanting to come around him. For what? Healing. They're all coming around for the stuff and the show. Isn't that ridiculous? But that's human nature. It's just kind of like, you know, the way we are. It's just ridiculous. Um, but Yeshua did that to show him like, look, God is here. I am God in the flesh. I'm here and I'm able to do something that you can't do. Um, let's go into something else. And, and I'm getting into the Haftor reading already, but I want you to see something. It's in 2 Kings chapter 5, verses 9 through 17. So <clears throat> Naaman, he's uh, uh, high in the army there. It says that, so Naaman came with his horses and chariot, and he stood at the entrance of the house of Elisha. A lot has already transpired. You have to go back and read some of the background on this. But it says, And Elisha sent a messenger to him saying, Go and wash yourself seven times in the Yarden, we would say Jordan, in the Jordan River, that your flesh may be restored to you because he had what? He had leprosy. Okay? He's not an Israelite. He's an, uh, in here it says Armenian. He's from Syria. Um. And he says, go and jump in the Jordan River seven times and you'll be clean. Naaman gets ticked off. He, he says, but Naaman became wroth and went away and said, see, I said to myself, he would certainly come out to me and stand and call on the name of Yahovah, his Elohim, and wave his hand over the place and, and recover the leprosy. Uh, are not Abana and uh, Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, Better than all the rivers of Israel. Could I not wash in them and be clean? And he turned away in rage. What he's saying is like, really in the Jordan River? It's like a stinking creek. Are you kidding me? It's not, it's, if you have seen pictures of the Jordan, I mean, unless it's at flood stage, you know, it's about that wide. It's, you know, 50, 75 feet wide. And at times it can be just a muddy 
little bitty river. It's, you know, it's, it's not much. And he travels all that way, and he's like, are you serious? I mean, back in Damascus, we got these rivers that are, like, pretty cool. Couldn't even just, you know, send me a letter and say, hey, you know, jump in a river. I expect him to come out, you know, and do his hocus-pocus stuff and call on his God and, you know, wave his hands and do something. He didn't even come out. He sends his messenger out to me. Are you serious? So he gets mad, and he just leaves. Uh, in verse 13, it says, And his servants came near and spoke to him and said, My father, if the prophet has spoken to you, the, if the prophet has spoken to you a great matter, would you not have done it? How much more then when he says to you, wash and be clean? Says the, so then he went down and dipped seven times in the, in the Jordan River, according to the word of the man of Elohim. And his flesh was restored like the flesh, watch this, of a little child. I'm 61, about to be 62, man. I, you young kids, it's ridiculous. I go, man, uh, you know, to be 20 again, you know, or 30 or whatever, you know, have the skin and muscles and stuff of a 30-year-old. It says here that he would, he became, his skin was like that of a little child. Can you imagine that? Um, that becomes important because I want you to see something here in a little bit. <clears throat> and he was clean. He returned to the man of Elohim, he and all his company, and he came and stood before him and said, See, now I know, watch this, that there is no Elohim, there is no God in all the earth except in Israel, and now please take a gift from me, if you will, your servant. He's like, please let me pay you. I mean, he healed him of leprosy, for crying out loud. Um, and he says in verse 16, but he said, as Yahovah lives before whom I stand, I do not accept it. And he pressed on him to accept it, but he refused. Elisha would not take his payment. Then Naaman said, if not, please let your servant be given two mule loads of dirt. Yeah. For no longer is your servant going to make a burnt offering and slaughtering to other mighty ones, other gods, but only to Yahovah. Wow. Isn't that, that's cool, right? So as a little side note, what I want you to see here, he goes, please let me take two mule loads, all they can carry of dirt back with me. Why would he say that? Especially back then, they understood that gods were geographical, okay? And that the God of Israel was God. And he goes, when I go back, I'm not going to worship any of these other so-called gods and offer sacrifices to them. So please let me take some of this geography back with me in honor of your God, who is God, because he goes later, he goes, because I'm the servant to the king. And when he goes in and worships, he leans on me, and I'm going to have to bow before these other gods because I'm his servant. Please pray with me, if you will, that Yahovah will forgive me of this. I'm not worshiping that God. I'm only doing my job. Really cool, right? Well, but you got to keep reading. Because in verse 20 it says, Now Gehazi, Gehazi is Elisha's servant. <laughs> but Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, the man of Elohim, said to himself, How many, Anybody here other than me talk to yourself? 
had those conversations in the mirror all the time going, Paul, what are you doing? It's ridiculous. Oh, I'm a silly person. It says, Because the servant of Elisha, the man of Elohim, said to himself, Look, my master has spared Naaman, this Aramean, while not receiving from his hands what he brought. But as Yahovah lives, I shall run after him and take whatever from him. You skip down to verse 25. It says, And when he stood, when he, he went in and stood before his, his master, and Elisha said to him, Where'd you go, Gehazi? <laughs> he said, Oh, I didn't go anywhere. He says, But he said to him, Did not my heart go with you when the man turned back from his chariot to meet you? Uh-oh. Busted. Is it time to accept silver and accept garments and olive trees and vineyards and sheep and cattle and male and female servants? Watch this. So let the leprosy of Naaman cling to you and your descendants forever. Oh my goodness. And he went out from him as leprous as snow. Now, there's something tied to all of this because Gehazi lied twice. He lies to Naaman. He lies to him about why he goes there. And, and now, you know, supposedly we need all these things. Uh, he was doing it for himself uh, and saying he's doing it as Yahovah lives because he truly is God. I can't help it that Elisha is an idiot and didn't want to get paid. I want to get paid. I'll let him pay me. Who's going to know? God and evidently Elisha. And then he lies to Elisha. Hey, Gehazi, where'd you go? Oh, I didn't go anywhere. And Elisha goes, yeah, you did. Because I was right there with you. Matter of fact, I saw it happen. Wow. Um, And so because of that, the leprosy comes back on him. So there's this issue of this leprosy, and I want to get into that now just for a second. Because when you start reading this, as Christina was showing us, it's literally called Lashon Ha-Ra. Lashon is the tongue, Ha is the, Ra would be uh, evil. That's where you, so it's, it's the evil tongue. And what they all teach is that this evil tongue is speaking evil or badly of somebody. Watch this. Even if what you're saying is uh, factually true. Don't do it. Remember in the New Testament it talks about what? Gossip? Isn't it amazing how much our conversation it hit me tonight when y'all came in, you know, we're talking, I love my, my cousin. But we, and we, how often, our, how much of our conversations are about people, just in general. Isn't isn't that weird? When you stop and think about it, I mean, how often are, when we're talking, how often are we really talking about just other people? Who's doing what? What's going on? What are they doing? What are they into? What are they reading? What am I doing? What are you doing? You know, and then usually when we're talking, we're talking about other people that we happen to know, you know, uh, because we were talking about the fact that, you know, that you showed up and I'm like, yeah, they know my cousin. I mean, we're just sitting here talking about all, and it just kind of rolls out n- natural, right? But we have to be so careful in everything that we say because watch this. Um, 
I want to share this with you because there's so much in here, and we'll, we'll look at this, but I, I don't want to miss something. This thing about the evil tongue, because we're, t- we're told like in James, it's like, who can tame the tongue? Uh, and we're told in the scripture, you know, because with the tongue, we have both the power to bless and to curse, right? We think of that, and she made mention of it with the kids, you know, uh, you know, sticks and stones may break my bones, you know, but words will never hurt me. Not true. Watch this. When everything was created, how did it get created? God spoke it into being, right? We're called to use our tongue to bless God and to bless others. We'll get into this story later, but those of you that have been around here know that we've covered this quite extensively because it's because God is still mad about it. It's the, and we'll get into it when we get into uh, numbers. It's this thing about Balaam. The story about Balaam, you know, the talking donkey and all that. Massive real estate in the Bible. And in, anyways. But there's been something about that that I've always thought, okay, well, I mean, you're God. I, what, what is the deal? You got Balaam. He's called a prophet or whatever, a seer. He knows God. He knows Yahovah. He's been hired to curse the people of Israel, right? He keeps asking God if he can do it, doing all these special sacrifices and stuff, and God won't let him do it. Later, he's going to go. We know he's going after the money. This angel's there and going to kill him. That's when the donkey is crushing his leg and then the donkey starts talking to him. Why are you beating me? That's the only part of the story we remember. But it's the smallest part of the story. It's like this minute detail. And the story's massive and so much more important, but that's all we remember. And the angel is going to kill him to keep him from going and cursing Israel. Are you thinking? I mean, it's like, why would God be so concerned about him voicing some words? Because who's going to do the cursing or the blessing? I mean, it's going to be God, right? Unless, watch this. And they have now even proven this scientifically, biologically. That the words that come out of our mouths literally impact your physical environment around you in a real tangible way and even your own bodies. Now this is, I'm postulating this. I have no biblical proof text for this, what I'm about to say. But the scripture all says you have not because what? You ask not. He wants us to ask. He wants us also to verbalize who he is what he's done, that he exists, and on and on and on. And he's called us to what? To preach, proclaim his kingdom, the kingdom of God here on earth, and who he is. He wants us to use our voices. When Yeshua comes back at the end and he releases Satan, all that, out, all that stuff happens at the very, very end. And it says what? He, they are consumed what? Literally by the breath of his mouth. There's something about speaking. Now, here's what I want to postulate. There are rules 
like the rules of nature that we know, like gravity and, you know, hot and cold, you know, whatever, that are just uh, natural laws. There, have, there has to also be these natural laws in the spiritual realm. There's just, it just functions a certain way. You know, like in heaven, are they breathing air? I don't know. Maybe they're breathing lead particles, or do they? I don't. I don't know, right? Because it's a it's a totally different realm, right? Here's my point. But we are interacting with the other realm and with the God that lives there and all the other angelic beings and everything. What if, when we are speaking, because we are created in God's image, we are literally initiating? I'll, I'll use this word supernatural laws. Watch this. Be it either good or evil. Therefore, that's why... And watch this. We do this every week. He told Aaron, pray this prayer. Say these words. When you say these words, I will bless the people and I will bless them by putting my name on them. Folks, I think there's a lot of things that God wants us to be doing, not just to teach us obedience. It's because it's literally initiating His rules, His economy, how it works. And He's saying, don't speak evil. Also, there's this thing called measure for measure. Because when it goes out, guess what? It's in your environment now. Do you, as an adult, do you really enjoy going to a public swimming pool? Ew. Ew. Right? Well, now, spiritually, it's the same thing. Don't muddy up the water you're swimming in. Right? Don't, <laughs> you know... I'd much rather go swimming in a stream with trout in it than a pond with catfish in it. Just that simple. Right? Well, spiritually, this is also what's going on, and it's talking about this Lashon Hurrah, the evil tongue. We need to tame the tongue. The part of the reason why it's a problem is because we have this sin nature. And watch this, we're very self-centered. It's all about me, and I'm always right. And everybody else is always wrong. And I wish they could just figure it out. Isn't that how we are? I mean, we're, so, we're just so ridiculous. Every, I'm, I'm like that, okay? I'm being, I, I can do that. And then I have to go, Paul, shut up. You, you want a knucklehead. No. Um, we have to tame the tongue and we need to be speaking blessings. Watch this. You need to be speaking these blessings over your kids. Over your wife, over your husband, over your parents. Instead of just always talking bad, watch this. We're multiplying the negativity. We got to hit the brakes and start speaking positively, speaking the blessings. And watch this the blessings of God Himself. Man, that transform your world, transform your environment. These songs and stuff that we watched uh, tonight, uh, I mean, I watch them and listen to that stuff 
all the time. All the time. You know why? I'm a dirty human being living in a dirty world, and I just need cleansing 24-7. And I need my brain and my emotions, and I just need to be clean 24-7 because it's filthy out there, and I don't help it. So the way I help, the way I try to improve my environment is I fight against Paul all the time. Paul, shut up. Listen to God. Pour worship into your spirit and stop this other junk and listen to the Word of God and listen to praise and worship music and at times don't even know 90% of the words that are being sung. I'm trying to learn Hebrew, but I'm really bad at it. So I can pick out, you know, 25% of the words in the song. But I know they're, I know they're singing, watch this, and it just almost brings me to tears. These, a lot of these are people in Israel. There's people in Israel coming to Christ left and right. That girl that sang in that last one is a worship leader there at a congregation at Mount Carmel. It's really cool hearing her testimony. Um, but it, I, I go, there are so many people coming to Yeshua in Israel right now. God is whistling and raising up His people all over the world. We're part of this global movement. People don't even know how to call it or what to do with it. People that are realizing, oh, the, you mean all the Bible still applies? Yeah. Wow. Um, and so it almost brings me in tears when I'm just listening to these songs going, that, that would have never happened 20 years ago. It had been so rare. And now it's just, it's bursting on the world scene. And it just, it just fills my heart with joy going, I'm listening to some girl that's a worship leader in Israel and she's singing to the same Savior Wow, and I'm over here in Royce City, Texas. And it just blesses me to think that we're at this time when God is doing this miraculous stuff. So, let's go on here. Uh, If you turn the page to page 3, you get down into chapter 13 of Leviticus, and it says, When a man has on his skin of his body a swelling, a scab, a bright spot, and it shall become on the skin of his body like a leprous infection, then he shall be brought to Aaron the priest, or to one of his sons the priest, and the priest shall look at the infection on the skin of the body. And if the hair on the infection is turned white, and the infection appears to be deeper than in the skin of the body, it is a leprous infection, and the priest shall look at him and pronounce him unclean. So it's the priest that has to make this designation. Because we just looked at, it's the priest's responsibility to teach the people, watch this, the difference between the clean and unclean, the holy and the profane. That's the main job. So that people will know how to live their lives. You get to... uh, Verse 3, and it says, And the priest shall go out... uh, I'm sorry, now this is all the way down into chapter 14. There's a lot that's transpiring. He's going to go through tons of details about all these different kinds of bodily functions and things and how they're supposed to investigate this. You get into verse 
3 of chapter 14, it says, And the priest shall go out of the camp, and the priest shall look and see, watch this, if the leprosy is healed in the leper. <clears throat> you see that? It's not the priest that goes out there to heal the leper. He's going outside the camp to see if the leper is already healed. And the only thing that's going to bring that about is if the leper repents. Watch this. Because they say that this kind of leprosy comes from this Lashon Arah speaking evil against somebody within the camp. So because they're speaking evil of somebody in the camp, guess what happens to them? They have to go outside the camp. They attacked the camp. Therefore, even if it's just an attack against one, they have to what? Now go outside the camp that they were attacking. Because God cares about the whole camp. He cares about His community. He cares about us as individuals. But holiness is always seen in the context of a community like we talked about last week. He's looking for a whole tribe. He's looking for a whole nation that's His and set apart and holy. <clears throat> um, so you jump down in verse 8. It says, uh, And he who is to be cleansed shall wash his garment. So... <clears throat> He's been healed, but he's going to go through this cleansing process. The cleansing process allows him to be now to go back into the temple worship and also be brought back inside the community. But watch what happens to him. It says, And he who is to be cleansed shall wash his garments and shave off all his hair and wash himself in water, and he shall be cleansed or shall be clean. Then after he comes into the camp, but um, he shall stay outside his tent seven days. And on the seventh day, it shall be that he shaves all the hair off of his head, his beard, and his eyebrows. In other words, every hair off his body. Everyone. Every bit. Even all his hair he shaves off, and he shall wash his garments and wash his body in water and shall be clean. Folks, it's like he becomes a newborn baby. Naaman came up out of the water, what? Like a baby. Why? Because he obeyed what God said, did what he said, and then realized God is God. <clears throat> Here we've got this same picture. Then once that's happened, watch this, it says, And the priest shall take some of the blood of the guilt offering, and the priest shall put it on the tip of his right ear of him who is to be cleansed, and on the thumb of his right hand, and on the big toe of his right foot. You go back into chapter uh, 10, I think it is. <clears throat> this is the same thing that happens with the anointing of the, high, of the priest and the high priest. Why? Why is he doing this? What is the sim symbolism in, in all of that when he's doing this on this guy that's repented, been healed, and now cleansed? This is the last phase of his cleansing. Puts this blood of this offering on his right earlobe, his right thumb, and his right big toe. Why? This is what the sages say. It's to show us that we are to always be straining to hear God's teachings and instructions to do what he says. We need to strain to hear it. And the only way we can hear it is through the sacrifice. Does that sound like Yeshua? The only way you can hear what God's really saying, what he really means is through his death, burial, and his sacrifice on the cross. 
Secondly, it's on his, it's on his right hand. Because what? We're to carry out the Word of God and the teachings of God wherever we go. Everything that we touch, we are to be doing it. What? Do everything where the Word or deed, what? To the glory of God the Father. And then on his right foot, watch this. Everywhere we go, when we walk, we're to walk out what God desires and to proclaim his glory. It's also to teach this stuff. Look, it's all about God. It's not about you, dude. So when you want to talk about somebody else, just zip it. Because there's certain things going on that you just don't understand. Because, well, you, you can't understand until you've been there. Anybody here been to heaven yet, physically? So we don't understand, right? Uh, because we haven't been there. Anybody here closer to my age where you go, they just don't get it yet? Right? You talk to some of these young kids and you go, okay. Because <laughs> there's no way I can explain it, right? I got some of you people going, yeah, that's, he's saying the truth. That, that, that's, that'll preach right there. You don't know until you've been there. and you, There's no way that you can't explain it. You can't read it in a book. When you had kids, did it change your life? Did you go, oh, that's not what I thought? Good or bad, either way. I mean, it's just, oh, that's not what I thought. And there's, you can't read it. You can't talk about it. You, the only way, you just have to experience it. And grandkids are the same way. It's just another, man, it's, a, it's, man, it's like, it's really good, isn't it, Mimi? It's, it's like, it's just all over the top. It's really, really good. But you don't know until you've experienced it. I mean, like when Matt and Casey told us they were going to have a baby, I broke down. Just, I mean, immediately. I probably broke down and was more emotional when they told me that than when I found out we were pregnant. You know? Uh, it, it, there's, there's no way to explain that until you've just simply been there. And it's like God saying, look, I can't even explain it to you. And if I do try to explain it, there's certain things you're just not going to get until you get here. And isn't that what it says in the New Testament? What? We will know because why? We will see him as he is. God's going to enlighten. Our, we're just going to go, oh, now I get it. And he's going to be going, yeah, I was waiting for you to get here so you could figure that out. You just you need to do what I say because I know what I'm doing. And guess what? When I tell you to do some of these things, it ain't even about you. See how self-centered we are? We go, oh, he's wanting us to, he want me to do these things so he can teach me something. Well, I think a lot of times those are side benefits of it. But we have the tendency to think that the God's attention and his love and everything that's going on in the whole universe and everything is just revolving around good old Paul. No, everything's revolving around him and he's invited me to the party. There's the difference. Um, let's jump, okay. Uh, Leviticus 15, this is at the end. Anybody here watch Nehemiah Gordon? Uh, watch, uh, I'm sorry, uh, it's Shabbat Night Live. But he was, he, was on, he was on last night. And I thought it was amazing that he was talking about these passages. I was like, I didn't, wow, that's pretty cool. So uh, you get to, once again, the only way to understand Scripture is to read it in context, which means you have to keep reading. Sometimes you've got to keep reading past the stuff that you think is boring. <laughs> You're like, well, this is a beating. Just, just keep reading and you'll get to the, Oh, I get it. Moment that will explain everything. 
So why is all of this going on? Why do these people get leprosy, get sent out? Da, da, da. Everything's going on, this whole Lashon, hurrah stuff. and every, Why is God doing all of these weird things, having us do all these weird things? Leviticus 15, verse 31. Thus you shall separate the children of Israel from their uncleanness. Watch this. Lest they die in their uncleanness. When? When they defile my dwelling place, which is in their midst. So what is God concerned about here? Number one, when you come into my house, don't bring your junk in here. You got to wipe your feet. I know you've been out there in the pasture with the cows and the sheep and stuff. Don't walk in here with that stuff on your boots, spiritually speaking. Because if you walk in here with that stuff on your boots, I'm going to kill you. He just said, isn't that what he just said? He goes, I don't want them to come into my holy place in their uncleanness and they die in that unclean state in my house. So it's twofold. Number one, he doesn't want his house uh, defiled. Secondly, he doesn't want to kill anybody and he sure enough doesn't want them to die in that unclean state. That's a bad thing. How'd you get here? Well, I offered strange fire. That's how I got here early. Oh, that's good to remember for eternity. <laughs> right? Uh, so that's not what he desires. And he says, this is why. I don't want to defile my dwelling place, and I don't want them to die in that defiled state. So now you, so that you understand that this whole thing about the Lashon Hurrah is also talked about in the New Testament. In 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 through 12, it says, so I'm going to sum all this up. Let all of you be like-minded, sympathetic, loving as brothers, tender-hearted, humble-minded. Whoa, here it is. Not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessing. He's saying, don't curse, bless. Even when they're cursing you, don't curse, bless. And he goes, knowing that you were called for this, watch this, in order to inherit a blessing. Is that starting now maybe make a little bit more sense? When we're being reviled, we should be blessing others because that's what God wants. And when you're blessing others, what are you doing? You're changing your environment. So when you're changing your environment, guess what's going to happen? Blessing. And also, measure for measure, what you sow, you're going to reap. So you're literally changing that environment. And part of the blessing is that environment is becoming less toxic and now more of a blessing in God's presence. So then you go on and he says, for he who wishes to, like, you want to love life? You want to live long and love your, love your life? He goes, let him keep his tongue from evil. Imagine that. It says, he who wishes to love life, see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Don't let it come out of your mouth. Let him turn away evil and do good. Let him speak peace and pursue that. You ever seen people that are just, you know, negative Nelly and they just, they're literally looking for things to be negative about because they don't know how to be normal without being negative, right? He's saying, don't be that way, but pursue peace. And speak blessings. Let that be your desire. And then look what he says. 
because the eyes of Yahovah are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayers. Here it is again. He's wanting to hear it. Not just think it. Yeah. Uh-oh. He wants us to say it. He wants us to use the mouth that he gave us. And he goes, but the face of Yahovah is against those who do evil. Wow. So then you go back and turn the page. We'll close with this, or close, a couple of them here. You get into Ephesians 4, 29 through 32. It says, let no corrupt word come out of your mouth. There it is again. But only such as good and for the use of building up so as to impart what is pleasant to the ears. And then he goes right into, and do not grieve the set-apart spirit of Elohim. Don't, don't grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. He keeps going on. Let all bitterness and wrath and displeasure, or that word would be anger, and uproar and slander be put away from you along with all evil. There he's, he's tying all of that with evil which is having this bad attitude and speaking these evil things about other people. Watch this. Even if it's factually correct. You ever felt self-righteous when you're like, well, that guy was just an idiot. man." Right? <sighs> we have to stop. We're <laughs> we need to change our environment. Uh, then verse 32, it says, and be kind towards one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God, your Elohim, has also forgiven you in the Messiah. Does that now make more sense of what it's saying in the New Testament, that he's what, how He's wanting us to be? Because we're representing Him, and He's wanting to bless us, and He's wanting you to bless other, your family, the community. Stop and think about communities, churches, whatever, when there's so much gossip and backbiting going on. So then you have to ask yourself, so then where is God in that community when that's going on? Well, He can't be, right? Because it's wrong, it's evil, and it's using the mouth that He gave us to bless Him and bless others is there going to be any Lashon Hurrah going on in heaven? No, right? He's going to get us back the way we were supposed to be in the Garden of Eden, using our mouths for what He first created it for, which was what? To worship Him and serve Him properly. So, folks, it's more than just practice. <laughs> I honestly, I really do. I'm, I might be totally wrong in this, but I think when we're speaking, we are enacting, initiating Spiritual laws that, that are just simply initiated when we speak it. That's why God's sitting back going, I'm ready to respond as soon as you ask. And you also need to ask with the right attitude. Um, I could have gone on and on, but here in Colossians 3 verse 8, because there's once you see this, once again, it's like these other things when these filters get off your eyes and you can read the Scripture for just simply what it says and you understand uh, the front of the book. It makes it easier to understand the back of the book. So now you get into the back of the book here in Colossians and it goes, but now also put off all of these, displeasure or anger, wrath, evil, blasphemy, filthy 
talk from your mouth. There's other passages. We're not even supposed to be involved in coarse jesting. Now I want to give you an example and I'll, I'll really close with this. Work in a cabinet shop. I might have shared this before, but I, I've got sawdust in my blood. My dad had a cabinet shop, started his own business. We did commercial mill work. And there was a time there he had left and I'm working with just my brother and we were just all Christian buddies. I mean, we were all, you know, full-blown. I was part-time uh, youth minister and in school and, uh, you know, we all just loved the Lord. <clears throat> And we would show up in the cabinet shop, and we were just teasing everybody left and right. You know, we'd, we would just tease each other. One day it hit me, because I started sensing, um, this is not good. In other words, there was a bad vibe. And so I called everybody in, and I said, look, guys, we, we, need, we really need to stop this. And they kind of looked at me, and I said, no, I'm, I'm serious. Scripture's clear on this, and it talks about this, you know, coarse jesting and stuff, and we're teasing and needling each other all in good fun. But I'm not sensing the presence of God. I'm not sensing blessing. I'm not sensing joy. I'm sensing who's going to pull the next prank. You know, this seems to be funny, but when it just keeps going, we were, we were changing the atmosphere. Of nobody worked there that didn't love the Lord. And so we stopped, and it, and it changed. Literally, the environment, the way I felt, the way we felt, changed. Um, this issue of the, the tongue, the evil tongue, the, this Lashon Hurrah, and when we speak something out, it impacting people. So when we say those things about the guy on 635, it's impacting him. But watch this. You just filled up the cab of your truck or, the, or your car with a bunch of negative, evil air that now you're breathing. Yeah, it's toxic. You just peed in your own pool. Really? As an adult, you wouldn't do that, right? You'd be going, ah, you know, I should go inside the house. It's why you go to those public pools and you see that kid standing there going, like, I'm not getting back in that pool, <laughs> right? They're just, you know, standing there froze. You're like, no, no. We see that picture as, as adults, right? We got that. We do that every day as adults, spiritually speaking, and we're making our environment toxic with this evil tongue. And we're living in it, and we can't figure out why we're not seeing the blessings of God. And, and more important, we can't figure out why we're not experiencing His peace, His shalom. Well, we just kicked it out of the car. Because we thought we were right, and we had the, we had the right to say something about that idiot, because, well, he's an idiot, and he didn't look when he turned. Well, he might not have looked. Have you ever turned and not looked? Oh, I'm sure we've never done that. No, we've never made a mistake, <laughs> right? But when we say those things, folks, we're impacting that person. In the Psalms, it said, he sent forth his word and healed them. 
It says that in the Psalms, that he sent forth his word and brought healing. You and I are created in his image. And we have the ability to either curse or bless. So Balaam comes along and God says, I won't let it come out of your mouth. And if you try to, I'll kill you. Sends this angel down there. God literally keeps saying, I'm not going to let you let that come out of your mouth. Why? Because what we say matters. What you say to your kids matter. What you say to and about your husband or your wife matters. What you say about your parents matters. That's why it says what? Honor your father and your mother that it may go well with you and you live long on the earth. That means no evil tongue. Right? The scripture, now you're going to start seeing, hopefully, the scriptures are full of this stuff where you go, oh, wow. So what I say is more than me talking to you, hoping that you'll come down here and do something. Isn't that typically how we think of prayer? That if I say something, then maybe God will hear, then he responds and he physically interacts and does something. What if it's more than that? What if our speaking, because we are his representatives, are actually initiating a rule, a law, if you will, before there's ever even a response? Because he's created us in his image. And so when they cross us and you go, Heavenly Father, bless this person that's having a hard time today. You spoke a blessing over him and a blessing in the cab of your truck. Then it says, and God hears, responds. He's got, now we've got his ear. Heavenly Father, I, <laughs> I'm running late. Because he cut me off, and this, and this happened, and I'm over here. I'm running late. Can you help me? And all of a sudden, you find out you hit every single one of those lights green by accident. You see, where, you see how that can also be happening? So this Lashon Hurrah, we just need to not do it, and we need to not be gossiping and uh, only try to speak positive about anybody and everybody around us. Even if what you're saying about somebody's factually correct doesn't mean that we need to even be saying it. Because what's it going to benefit? It makes us feel better about ourselves because we're self-centered. And we just don't need to be doing that. Amen.